But anyway, uh, I did a live conversation with uh, Bishop B. Jamel uh, Broadnax uh, from Unconditional Love Church. And uh, I can't remember what place in North Carolina he's in. Darn, I forget the city right now. But uh, anyway, I've been watching his stuff. If you haven't connected with him, I'd encourage you to connect with him. Um, and part of the reason I'm doing these conversations with different people is I want to encourage those of you, especially those of you that have been um, supporting us or been part of what we're doing locally, or you've suffered with us, you've suffered the the, <laughs> the shrinking and the loss and uh, of you know what we've been through the last few years. I know there's was a number of times that those of you that were you know following along in this journey that I was on and that we were going on, those of you that were connected locally, uh, you know we went from number one best of Pueblo. Uh, growing, um, supernatural signs and wonders, all this crazy stuff, um, to um, confusion, wonderment, shrinking, and accusations. <laughs> <coughs> and I know several people are like, oh my God, what, what are you doing? Um, <clears throat> but one of the reasons I do these videos, like with Bishop Broadnax and with Vanessa R. Brooks and... Uh, just different ones. I'm going to be doing one hopefully soon with Derek Day, uh, some other people I want to bring on, is to uh, illustrate that we are part of a movement. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And just because we may not understand it or we may not see it going on in other contexts in terms of um, other local fellowships or whatever, we may be uh, kind of branded right now as the heretics or that church or woe or whatever, um, but we're not alone. Uh, lots of people are going through this, and I believe it's part of the shifting of the ages. One of the reasons that I've done the videos with Doug Wentz, um, done the videos about the age of Aquarius, um, because there's just a whole lot of, of shaking and changing and different stuff that's that's going on. And so I share those to try and encourage you, and I, and I think you'll find the one with Bishop Broadnax especially encouraging, not that the others aren't great, uh, all of them have been great. I'm not trying to make comparisons. Um, but I think it was uh, just the nature of his journey and the way that he shared it, I think, will speak to a lot of you or speak to some of you. So I want to I talk about um, the title kind of today is, I will not let the church steal or I will not let the church have or I will not let the church take what God gave me. And... In order to share that, I need to talk a little bit about my personal life. I'm going to share some things about my personal journey, some of the struggles that I've had, uh, some of the things that I've still been processing, and hopefully you'll be able to take something with that that will be a benefit to you. And I do need to give a shout out to Vanessa R. Brooks because uh, Vanessa really helped me process some of this stuff. She's uh, doing tarot readings with the tarot cards. And she did a uh, public reading on Facebook, <clears throat> I want to say Friday night. And so I was curious how she how she did that. So I went on her page, and she selected a, a select few of the people that were live with her at the moment to receive a short reading. And she would just pull one of the tarot cards and give a reading off of the card. And as I'm watching her do this, she, she picks up the tarot card. She's speaking to one person. She's looking at the card and, and kind of conveying the message of the card. And then she kicks into this full-on 
prophetic word that she starts giving. And, and I, I swear I felt like I was back in church in a good way. Uh, <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. Remember those meetings where uh, people are being edified and built up and really spoken to powerfully by the power of the Spirit and the power of the prophetic. And she did this for one person, and then she drew a card, and she did it for another person, and then she did it for another person. And it was so beautiful for me and helpful for me and healing for me to be able to watch her combining the new tools and the new insights into spirituality and into reality and into the cosmos that she's gleaned, that she now believes, but not let go or lose those elements and dynamics of who she was when she was Apostle Vanessa Brooks in the recognized in the churches and traveling and doing that sort of stuff, but only doing it in the church setting. And I thought it was really cool. <clears throat> so we got to talking later. I, I reached out to her to tell her, hey, I thought that was really cool the way you did that. And as the conversation developed, um, she just really helped me realize some stuff. And she was, she actually gave me the title. She said, don't let the, don't give to the church what God gave you. And by that, what I mean is the supernatural and the flow of the spirit and the dynamics of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. And what does that look like outside of the context of a church meeting where, especially where it's just the, the man of God or the woman of God or the person who's highlighted to speak that particular meeting who's moving and operating in supernatural and gifts of spirit and stuff like that. Now, anybody that was part of our church knows that we decentralized that from the very beginning. That one of the things that we did, one of the very first things we did when we opened the church was train and develop and had leaders for uh, ministry teams. And we taught them how to minister healing. And so if you came to a healing service, um, it wouldn't just be me or the guest speaker oftentimes. Oftentimes, the most dynamic stuff that would happen would happen and take place with the people who were trained and on the teams that were praying and ministering to other people. And and we really trained people to deliver the goods. I mean, we really had, I've, I've been in a lot of places, a lot of churches where people just did stuff and it, it was kind of questionable. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean. Uh, but this group could really deliver the goods to people. And so we went through this this time. And so, so here's, here's a couple, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of speaking spontaneously as this stuff's coming to me, but here's a few of the challenges that, that we've had. Um, let, let me use this as an example. There was, uh, someone posted on the religious trauma recovery group page, um, a while back asking, do you still speak in tongues? Um, those of you that have deconstructed, do you still speak in tongues? And there was a bunch of answers, and I found myself <clears throat> almost transported back in time to the late 80s, early 90s, when I was trying to figure out for myself this whole issue of speaking in tongues, because I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church, a charismatic church, was raised in a Methodist church, like everybody that would look at the charismatic church back then, I thought a lot of the stuff was weird. I thought speaking in tongues was weird. I thought people giving prophecies was weird. 
And <clears throat> yet I had some drawing. See, one of the things that drew me to God, that drew me to the Christian faith, was an interest in the supernatural. If we could not get God under the old paradigm, if we could not get God to intervene in our lives and do supernatural things for us, if we only read a book that talked about healing and miracles and signs and wonders and prophetic words and speaking in tongues and all that stuff, if we only read a book about it, um, and, and the miraculous is a major theme throughout the Bible from the parting of the Red Sea to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's just loaded with that kind of stuff. And if we could not see some element of that in our lives, then it had to all be bogus. That's, that's where I was at in my early 20s. So the only groups that were talking about those things back then was the charismatic churches. And so coming into the charismatic church, the big thing was, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and trying to reconcile what is this speaking in tongues? What is this this weird thing? And so you have so many different streams of Christianity, but if there was to be one real major division that I see, you had the church of Jesus Christ. You, you have the Christian church that at least affirms the reality of the gifts of the Spirit, preaches the miraculous, and pursues the miraculous. And then you have the realm of Christian church that says, no, that all passed away, or they explain it away. Or what they've done is they've adopted cultural skepticism. Um, we live in a scientific age. We, at least that's what the last age has been. I believe it's shifting and changing where we're going to see spirituality and science coming together. We're already seeing that with people like Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden and many, many others that are out there, Bruce Lipton. Um, but we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more of, of, I think, a blending of science and spirituality. But, but the age that was, the age that we're still sort of in, <clears throat> and that most of us came up in, as a general rule, there's a skepticism against the supernatural. There's a prejudice against the supernatural, sort of a natural skepticism. Uh, you know, I think about like uh, Houdini, uh, if you want to go back to the 20th century, Houdini and others that um, were exposing the frauds within the spiritualism movement that, that you know, back in the earlier part of the 20th century, it was very, very common, especially for the wealthy to get together and have seances, and there were mediums that they, they realized they could make a lot of money off of this. And so you had some that, that were genuine mediums, and then you had some that were just pure charlatans. And people like Houdini and, and others would go around because they were magicians and they understood they would, they would expose the charlatans. Um, I can't remember the guy. He's still on TV. Um, but the Steve Martin movie, Leap of Faith, that came out in the 80s, uh, was based on this guy. It was a guy that was really popular in the faith movement and could really read your mail, call you out by your name, by your address, by the condition in your body, and you would get healed. And they found out he had a, a earpiece in his... <laughs> he had an earpiece, and 
what would happen is they would get cards, people would fill out cards, or even listen in on conversations and follow people and watch where they were sitting. <clears throat> and then they would radio to the evangelist the information, so he's getting it in his earpiece, and then he's pretending like uh, like God is speaking and flowing through him. And so those examples of fraudulent stuff, fake stuff, kind of gets <clears throat> uh, highlighted in our culture and then you have this sort of group of Christians that become offended at that, or they just can't buy into that, or they're too intellectual for it, or their experiences don't match that. And so you have these these sort of divergent streams. So when this person asked on the religious trauma page, do you, sp- do you still speak in tongues? All of a sudden, all the old arguments started coming out. And uh, I'll get back to that in a second. But I had forgot, I had totally forgotten... Because I had become so enculturated, I become, you know, so used to the supernatural, so used to the moving of the spirit, and all my friends were into the same thing, right? And so I was so enculturated in the moving of the spirit, with the speaking in tongues, with prophecy, with miracles, with signs and wonders and healings, and stuff like that, that I forget that even Christians don't believe that stuff, that even Christians use the Bible to oppose that stuff, and. So one of the dilemmas that or one of the struggles that I've had from the very beginning is trying to fit in to uh, a society and a culture as a person who believes in the supernatural and ex- has experienced it. I've experienced so many things, so many different stories that I could share, so many incredible things, verifiable things that happen. And yet at the same time, being an intellectual, being someone who's a critical thinker, being someone who appreciates Bible scholarship uh, and who's able to look at this stuff. And, and a lot of this, you know, one of the things I said with Bishop Brodnax was I said that I studied to show myself approved and I studied my way out of the Christian dogma and doctrines and things that I was clinging to. So I, I have like all this stuff going on where intellectually and as a critical thinker, I'm able to... Uh, sort of look at stuff and because I had a desire for the truth when presented with information that conflicted with my confirmation biases that conflicted even with I mean you got to understand how invested you know people like Vanessa and people like Bishop Brodnax and myself and others uh, uh, people like uh, Derek Brown in the UK I'm I'm trying to think other people uh, uh, Doug Wentz you know, totally invested. We totally gave our lives to these, this stuff. And then you're presented with this information. And it's like all of a sudden, um, I don't know what to do with it. But the integrity, the heart of truth that's there that says, I can't, ju- I can't just ignore this because it's going to bring conflict or difficulty into my life. I want the truth. So you have this intellectual side going on. And typically in society, like intellectualism and spirituality or the supernatural don't flow together. And you'll see this because, and so this, you know, I was running into this a lot because with my charismatic friends, when I would ask questions or I would uh, get into the scholarship side of it, I would be accused of, you're, you're being too intellectual. You're being naturally minded. They use First Corinthians chapter two. The natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. You need to let the spirit. You need to let these questions go. You need to just let the spirit answer these questions for you, and that sort of stuff. But I knew that was I knew that was BS. I, I, that just didn't satisfy me or, or settle it for me at all. 
So on the one hand, for one group, I was too spiritual because here's the other thing. My deconstruction came not just out of study, but it also came out of encounters. It came out of trances and visions and spiritual encounters and spiritual experiences. So I have both going on. I have these spiritual experiences and these spiritual encounters that I'm having that is deconstructing my faith. And then when I go and study it out in scholarship, I'm getting the confirmation of that. So on the one hand, I'm not spiritual enough which is there to discount the scholarship. And then on the other hand, I'm too spiritual and have like lost my mind or something. So trying to figure out how to share this and, and where does this fit? And listen, when this started with me, there wasn't, there wasn't, a, I didn't know Vanessa or, or Brooks. I didn't know Doug Wentz. I didn't know, uh, Derek Brown. I didn't know, uh, Bishop Broadnax or Derek Day or Aaron Abke or any of these people that I could go to that were going through the same process that I could process with. I'm having these encounters and supernatural experiences and signs and wonders. I'm stepping outside of the Jesus only camp. And by that, I don't mean just the Trinity, but I mean the Christian stepping outside the Christian camp, exploring and trying things that Christians have demonized and said's off limits. And I'm having power encounters. And in fact, I'm having more powerful encounters outside of the Christian church than I was having inside the Christian church. I'm getting more accurate information than I ever got trying to download prophetically. So I've got all this crazy kind of supernatural stuff of, of confirmations and synchronicities and just crazy stuff that's happening in my life that's deconstructing my faith, that's tearing away the box. I'm looking at biblical scholarship. That's tearing away the box. And I don't have anybody to talk to about it. So who do, who, you know, who do I talk to and say, well, uh, I had a, a vision and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share some of these experiences, just to give you an example, and I, and I hesitate to share my experiences, but I know that I need to. I know that I need to. I know that this is part of uh, coming out of the, the, the closet spiritually, so to speak, for me. So any of you that were part of our church, you know that we had tremendous, um, just, in my mind, irrefutable evidences of the supernatural. We, we used to have a room in our church where we had crutches, um, we had everything from crutches to glasses to uh, syringe needles uh, for um, insulin to wheelchairs to arm braces of people who walked, who came into our services, came into our miracle services, came into our healing services and walked out without that stuff and was completely and totally healed. You can go to our New Day Church page and you can find testimonies of people that were completely and totally healed and delivered. Uh, beyond that, we operated in the in, in the prophetic and we operated accurately in the prophetic. Uh, I remember, I, I'm just trying to give you some examples. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. I remember going through a, a bodily condition, something I was concerned about and had to go get tests on. And I was praying and I had a vision. And in this vision, Jesus comes to me and he says, you're going to be okay. The tests are going to come back negative. And, and back then you had to believe. You had to have faith for all this stuff. And we worked really hard at it and I worked really hard at it. And I knew I wasn't exactly in faith. And so Jesus comes and he says, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all good. And I thought, well, what if it wasn't? I wouldn't have enough faith because I was still stuck in that. This was several years ago. And I remember the Lord said to me, and, 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 and so I said, how come I'm, I'm encountering Jesus in a vision? How come I was struggling so much with my faith? And he takes me back to a individual, a pastor, 
that I had had an encounter with who had really sown seeds of doubt in my heart about the legitimacy of the supernatural, about the legitimacy of healing, and all these things, and basically said, you know, that's kind of where those seeds got sown into your heart and into your life, and these are the things that you need to look at. And then he tells me this. He says uh, about the man, the, the pastor, and I love loved this man, and Jesus says to me, he says, within the next month, that he's going to pass away. That he's, he's going to die within the next month. And I don't know why I got that information. The man was, was, uh, not sick that I knew of. He was not, um, uh, he wasn't young, but he wasn't that old. <laughs> it's funny as you get, you think, you know, you think 50 is old when you're 20 and then you start approaching 50 and you think, oh, you know, this, this isn't too bad. So I don't, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he wasn't an old man. In other words, there was no reason to think that he was going to, to die. Uh, but I wrote it down in my journal. And three weeks later, so what I find out was that he had just been diagnosed about that time. I find this out later. He had just been diagnosed with a very terminal disease. But a terminal disease that kills you very, very, very slowly over many, many years. Not something that just takes your life typically like that. And was just starting to show symptoms of that. And I knew it's going to be within a month. And so, sure enough, three weeks later, he um, goes to sleep. He goes up to take a nap. And he dies in his sleep. So I had that information three weeks before. My test came back negative. So I'm just throwing out examples to say we used to experience that kind of stuff all the time, but it was always connected, usually connected to visions of Jesus. So let me step back about uh, two or three, uh, gosh, no, um, six or seven years ago. So from that dynamic and dimension of the demonstration of the Spirit and power in the prophetic, in healing, in miracles, in signs and wonders, all connected to Jesus, all connected to the preaching of the scriptures, because part of the oomph and part of the movement of it was, this is proof, and this is how I look at it, this is proof that we have the truth. Jesus is healing people. He's confirming his word with signs following. He's giving downloads of information that is accurate, verifiably provable out here. And that proves the message and so we use that to validate and prop up the message and say, see, we are the light of the world, or see, uh, you do have to believe like us. God is doing these things in order to get you saved. So that was the, the mentality and the thought. So it's really hard to get out of that because you're like, man, I'm right. I mean, look at all the, the powerful stuff that's, that's happening when I preach the word or, or people that teach and know the truth or simply using the name of Jesus or inviting the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing all this kind of stuff. And so that led me, you know, down this path of, of Christian mysticism. And I had been studying Christian mysticism for a long time. But I, I went through a season in my life where I would, I was so hungry for more supernatural encounters. Oh, oh, some, something else had happened. Just, just what, what, what messed me up. So even before that, let me back up even before that, uh, 2008, um, we started encountering, I started encountering the angelic. Um, angels start showing up in my meditation times. Uh, angelic presence starts showing up in our churches. 
meaning that you could feel a localized, you may not see it, some people would see it, other people wouldn't see it, but you could, you could absolutely feel a zone of energy that we labeled at least uh, as the angelic. But back then you weren't even supposed to talk to angels. You know, the, even, the, even the charismatic said, no, you got three. You got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to um, uh, talk to angels. So we start talking to angels. So that messes up my paradigm. But I, but I wanted to share this. I, I, I started having... No, no, no. Okay, so I'm going to tie that back in a sec. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Uh, hopefully you're able to follow me. So just keep that in your mind. We had the encounters with the angels. So then I start pursuing Christian mysticism. And so then I'm hungry. That's what brought that thought up. I'm hungry for encounters of the supernatural. I'm hungry for more... Uh, uh, just hungry. And... So I start waking up at 3 o'clock every morning, and I would get up at 3 o'clock every morning, and I would go down, and I would meditate, and I was practicing different meditation techniques, different ways to alter my state of consciousness, because remember, if you've been following these and listening to these, the stuff I did on divine healing, altering your state of consciousness is huge. Uh, it goes all the way back to shamanism and the earliest traditions of humanity. So I'm working with my states of consciousness trying to figure out what I can do to get in the spirit to have more of these encounters. But they were just flowing and happening, happening naturally. And I would have a time where Jesus would come to me in visions and or in trance states and would teach me and talk to me and share things with me that I had never heard or open up the scriptures to me about things that I had never heard. And then I would be able... By the end of the day, there would be some confirmation. I would find something on the Internet. I would hear a teaching. Somebody would send me something in an inbox. This went on every day for about seven months. And I got so close, I thought, to heaven, so close to that other realm that uh, I felt at times like I could just step on over. And I'm getting a sad face. I don't know why I'm getting a sad face. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, though. Um, this is a really good time for me. And then I have this dream. And in this dream, again, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. And Jesus is talking to me, and we're walking down a mountain, and we're walking down a timeline. And we're going backwards in time. And I'm struggling so much in my mind with the concepts of time and space that... I'm starting to wake myself up from the dream. That's how much my mind was struggling with this. And I hear Jesus speak to me and he says, until you can let go of your concept of time and space, you will never be able to operate in the power of the age to come. And as I'm walking down the mountain, the person, the vision the construct, the visionary construct of Jesus Christ vanishes. And I get up and I go to my prayer, prayer time and meditation time and Jesus doesn't show up. It's not, okay, well, I had the dream. It's the first day in like seven months. Jesus hadn't showed up. I get up the next day. No Jesus. I get up the next day, no Jesus. The day after that, no Jesus. The day after that, no Jesus. The day after that, no Jesus. 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 I go into the church, no anointing. 
Uh, I try to pull on and operate on the gifts of spirit. Nothing to operate from. Um, I start praying. I mean, we're talking a dry season that probably lasted longer than the not dry season. And I'm like, I got this fly. <laughs> this fly is just driving me crazy. So I'm not just talking with my hands, although I do that. So now I'm like, what happened as quick as, as it was happening and as it was flowing and so rich and wonderful. And now all of a sudden nothing, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm seeking the Lord because that's, that's what we did back then. And I'm like, what, what is happening, you know, here? What, what is going on? And I start examining my life. So, so here's what we do, right? We start examining our life. D- did I, com- did I commit some kind of sin? Did I, uh, grieve the Holy Spirit? Did, do I need to try a different method? Do I, maybe I need to fast. I mean, it's like, it's like these encounters with God, they just kind of come and go. And particularly with Jesus, if Jesus' presence is absent or whatever. And then I remember one Easter, I think it was the following Easter Sunday, I'm getting ready for the Easter message and I get a download and I get it. And this, and I'm going to share two experiences that really led to my deconstruction. This was one of them. Two stories from the Easter time. The first one is the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them in a different form, in a form they do not recognize. They're disciples of his, but they don't recognize him. And he asks, why are you upset? Why are you grieving? And they said, sir, are you the only stranger? I love this. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that does not know the events of Jesus? He wasn't the only stranger. He's the only one that actually knew, right? Because here's the resurrected Christ, but they didn't recognize him. And... Then it says he opened up their hearts, he opened up the scriptures, he opened up their eyes. When he gave them the the bread, their eyes were opened and they knew that it was Jesus. And it says in that moment, he vanished from their sight. And I used to read that and I think, what, what kind of game is this? That the moment they determine who Jesus is, he vanishes from them and his presence is no longer there with him until they go and they talk to um the other disciples, and then when they're talking to the other disciples, then Jesus manifests in his presence, but he's there with them for 40 days or whatever, and then he's he's gone again. There's that story, and then there's this one that's so powerful. Mary goes to the empty tomb. Mary goes to the empty tomb, and she sees someone that she thinks is the gardener. Now watch this. In both cases, here's the resurrected Lord. Here's the, the people that walked with the historical Jesus, yet when he appears to them, they do not recognize him. They mistake him for someone else. So the disciples on the road to Emmaus mistake him for a stranger, but Mary mistakes him for the gardener. <laughs> and then he says her name, and she says, teacher, and she grabs on. Now watch what Jesus says. He says, do not cling to me. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended uh, to my father, but go and tell my disciples that I am ascending to my father and their father, to my God and their God. He's not declaring his divinity. He's not declaring, I'm resurrected and I am God. He's doing the exact opposite. He's saying, I'm ascending to my Father, I'm ascending to my God, and the same Father and the same God that I have is the same Father and the same God that they have. Don't cling to me. And I saw in a download that Mary represents the church throughout the ages that wants to cling in time and space. Because remember, when Jesus is walking me down in the vision, He says, until you can let go of your 
concepts of time and space, you cannot operate in the power of an age to come. And so here is Mary, and here's what the church has done. Here's what the Orthodox Church has done for 2,000 years. We have locked up God into time and space by locking him up into a historical person, into a historical event, and making the historical person and the historical event salvific, salvation. And Jesus is telling, I I think this is a prophetic word, Jesus is telling Mary, who is the church, do not cling to me. Do not cling to the... the The resurrected Christ is telling Mary, don't cling to me. Why? Because I'm ascending to my God and to your God, to my Father and to your Father. Which means that that you are every bit the sons and daughters of God that I am. That you have the same access to God that I have. That you have the same divinity. In the same way that I'm the Son of God, you're the Son of God. And what we've done is we've clung to a historical person, we've clung to a historical event, and we've said this is it, and it keeps us locked into time and space, and it prevents us from experiencing the fullness of what we can experience and what we can manifest in the dimensions and the realms of the Spirit that are available to every person regardless of what they believe. Because here's part of the problem. When we connect the flow of the Spirit, when we connect our identity, let me let me come back and talk about identity. When we connect our identity to mentality rather than to what is organic, we are in trouble. I'm going to say that again. When we connect our identity to concepts and beliefs and ideas or to something outside of ourself and we say this is what I am we have dehumanized ourselves because our identity does not have to do with our ideas our identity has to do with our organism our identity is organic our identity is ontological our identity is our nature our ideas and our beliefs will shift and change they will come and go I will think about myself in one conceptual way one day and I'll feel differently about myself uh, another day. And if I have to hold my identity together by asserting who I am in Christ or who Christ is to me, I have missed the boat. I've dehumanized the process. I have taken the organic out of it and I've actually missed the boat. And so what I'm suggesting is that, 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 that the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is not just the divine human Jesus, but it is about the divination of humanity in an organic whole. That the power of the gospel that is really present, if it were preached correctly, would be that you can fully accept your humanity, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and love it. You can love the enemy within yourself. Until you can love your enemies inside of you, you cannot love your enemies outside of you. And you can relax into an organic experience of you and God regardless of your concepts and regardless of your ideas. Because as long as I have to hold on to, I am something. I believe something, and it is my believing this that gives me access. It is my clinging. Listen, I had intimacy with Jesus, and I was clinging to that intimacy with Jesus, and it was life-giving, and it was powerful, and then Jesus said, don't cling to me. It's expedient to you that I go away, because until I go away, I can't send the Spirit to you. What, What does that mean? Until you let go of my exclusive divine humanity, I can never rel- 
release the Spirit in its fullness to, 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 to deify your own humanity, to bless the organic union that you are divinely human. You are a son and a daughter of God. It is an eternal reality. It is your identity. Nothing can change it. You can relax into it. You can trust your heart. You can trust life. You can trust the contracts that you made as a soul being before you came into this life. You can embrace your mistakes. You can embrace your shadow side. You don't have to deny that stuff. But if I have to cling and keep affirming, and so here's what happens to us in Christianity. We have to keep affirming an identity. We have to keep affirming an identity because we have not relaxed into living naturally. We have to cling to an identity because we have not relaxed into living naturally. Because we value judge the various different aspects of ourselves. In other words, you can relax into who you are. You can relax into your ideas. You can relax into your gifts. Otherwise, otherwise you're just, you're affirming every, and so see, because we disown our shadow parts, because we disown our shadow parts, because we won't let them be, and love them, and heal them, and integrate them, we, we have to keep them suppressed because they're not part of who we are in Christ, then what we do is we have to keep affirming who we are in Christ because those shadow parts won't go away. And if we would relax, if we relax for a month, if you relax for six months off of affirming who you are in Christ, guess what happens? All that stuff starts coming to the surface. It has to present itself. It has to make itself present to you so that you can see it, you can love it, you can relax into it, you can integrate it, and then you're set totally free. You can trust your desires, you can trust your heart, you can trust your decisions, and even when you make mistakes, you can embrace those mistakes and you can say, you know what, damn it, I didn't go out and make somebody else's mistake. I didn't go out and live life the way somebody else was telling me to live it. I lived it with pure, true integrity because I lived it in my heart. I lived it from the inside out. I showed up in my life. I showed up as who I was. And, 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 and yes, it hurts. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said it's better to enter into life maimed than to have your whole body thrown into the, the fire and destroyed. I don't think he's talking about eternal life. I think he's saying, look, it hurts. People are going to hurt you. Life is going to be difficult. But you know what? Show up anyway. It's better to show up and live your life and live your life. Because here's the thing. If I just take everybody else's advice and everybody else's template and everybody else's teaching and I integrate and I, and, I, and, and I have this external schema, whether it's in the Word, whether it's who I am in Christ, whether it's from therapy or a self-help book or the law of attraction or a channeled work or whatever. If I take all this stuff and I try to conform myself to it, I am still letting an outside voice dictate who I am. And gods do not do that. And we are here to learn how to be divine human. We are here to learn how to live like royalty. And if you live like royalty, you may consult, but you make the decision 
decision from an executive part of yourself. And that and that alone is true integrity. When you are living from the inside out and then when you make your mistakes, here's what I'm saying. So many of us are afraid to take risks. So many of us are afraid. Well, I've been told my whole life this is wrong. I've been told my whole life if I want to have access to God, it only comes through Jesus. And I'm afraid if I step outside of that, that it's going to be bad. But here's the thing. The, pro- the father in the parable of the prodigal son, if you don't learn anything from the prodigal son, learn this. The father financed the prodigal's way into his debauchery. He could have never gone and, and, and lived a prodigal life, a wasteful life with possessions if the father hadn't given it to him in advance and he knew what his son was going to do. But you see, he was doing what was in his heart. He was doing what he wanted to do. So he went and he spent. One of the differences between Buddhism and Christianity when it comes to desire is that Christianity will tell you you have to suppress your desires. You have to let God transform your desires. You have to let God change your desires. Whereas Buddhism says the way to truly be free from desire is desire fulfilled. That in other words, as long as I'm suppressing desires from my shadow self that go against the rules, then I am going to continue to have to deal with that. But the prodigal son goes out, watch this, the prodigal son goes out, and he satisfies those, and he finds out this isn't at all. Servants in my father's house had it better than this. He realizes his Mistake. This is so important. He realizes his mistake. He realizes the error in his thinking. And this is the most powerful part of the parable. It says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, watch this, when he came to himself, he realized how many of my father's servants live better than this. I will go to my father and I will seek to live as a servant. And because he came to himself, he thinks he's going as a servant. That's his self-concept. But when he meets the father, he, he the father embraces him as a son. Why? Because he's living as a son. Because he's living from his true self. And he realized that by going out, he made his own mistakes. Therefore, he learned his own lessons. You see it? But now we have this other son that conformed to the house, that conformed to the authority of the house, that was faithful to his father, was the, right? And he sees all this partying and stuff going on and he gets offended and he accuses the other brother and he leaves the house. And when the father goes out to the second son, the second son says something very interesting. He says, Father, I've been faithful to you and I've served you all these years, yet you never killed a fatted calf for me. You never did this stuff for me that you're doing for my son. He's speaking his heart. The father says, everything I had was yours. All you had to do was ask. But see, he couldn't live from his heart. He couldn't live authentically to his desires because he was too busy fitting into the house. And so what I'm going to tell you is, is there are too many people within Christianity, within movements, within churches that are too busy trying to conform to the form of the house that they don't allow themselves to really get in touch with what makes them feel alive. Because they feel like they have to suppress it. They feel like they can't have it. But the prodigal son came to himself. So somebody has to hear that. Somebody has to hear that. Because the point is, coming to yourself, realizing who you are, relaxing into yourself, and then making your own decisions, trusting your own heart, trusting your own intuitions, listening to counsel, of course, but realizing you may go out and make mistakes, but don't be afraid to take the risks. Because if you take the risks and you live authentically, you live authentically with integrity, you're going to make mistakes. But they will be your mistakes, and you will learn from your mistakes.
And so one of the things I had to do was I had to let go of the form of Jesus and realize I have a divine authenticity and power that flows out from me. One of the things that messed me up during that time when I'm having that intimacy with Jesus, I would have deceased, not only would I have angels, I would have deceased loved ones come to me in visions and meditation with messages for their family. And I would never take some cheesy message. I would say, you got to give me something that will confirm it. And I remember a couple times I went and said, hey, you know, in both these instances, your mom appeared to me, came to me, told, gave me this message for you and told me to ask you about some very significant detail that only they would know. Both times. And both times, the people that I shared with were completely wrecked and they got a level of healing from trauma that they never did from Jesus. So as a person who's encountering Jesus back then every day and a person who's spirit-filled, what do you do with that? Who do I go to and say, yeah, so-and-so's mother appeared to me and that person got tremendous healing from the message that came. So see, on the one hand, if back then I was trusting my own divine human experience and relaxing organically into my divine human experience, I would have been okay. But I had to keep looking outside myself for the validation. I keep looking outside myself for the validation. I'm going to share one more experience just to give you guys an idea how the supernatural has been involved in this. Um, this is a couple of years ago. I think no, it was just, just over about a year and a half ago. And I'm still wrestling with and clinging, still doing very much the Christian thing, still very much doing the Jesus thing. And I'm in meditation and I find myself in the Revelation 4 and 5 throne room in a vision experience. Really almost an out-of-body experience. Well, not almost. Okay, I'm just going to say it. An out-of-body experience. See, I hedge because I know there's people out there that don't experience this stuff or believe in this stuff. And I, and I hesitate to share for two reasons, because I don't like dealing with the skeptics, number one. And number two, I don't like to elevate myself to a place to where people feel like uh, I'm someone special, because I'm not someone special in the sense that all of us have access. All of us have access. All of us have different levels and degrees of access. So I, I'm in this revelation thing, and I'm looking at the throne, and I hear a voice that says, do you see the man Jesus sitting on the throne? And I said, no, because even in the text, it says there's a lamb in the center, not even on the throne, in the center of the throne, with seven eyes and seven horns. And I said, no, it's not the man Jesus. And the voice said, what do you see? Well, it's a lamb. It's a metaphor. And it's like in the in the Bible where the, you know, the angel would tell the prophets, you've seen well or whatever. And I felt like you've seen well. And then I heard the question, what does it represent? Well, lamb represents like this lamb-like nature, right? This gentle, soft nature, this non-warring, non-violent nature. Eyes represent fullness. Seven represents fullness. Eyes represent vision and consciousness. Horns represent power, but it also represents an ascension because the horn is coming out of the center of the head and upwards. And I realized, and I had this question, do we, should we worship Jesus at all? 
because I couldn't find it in the scriptures anywhere except in Revelation. But then I'm having this experience and realizing I didn't Jesus. And they take their crowns. And so this voice is telling me they're surrendering their mindset for that higher mindset for, and, and now, now here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. The, the, the mindset that the metaphor is in the throne, if you go back and read it, in the living elders, in the elders, in the living creatures. In other words, it's a potential, it's a divine potential that resides within and throughout every being in the cosmos. And the key is the discovering and awakening of your own divine potential. And that's what the book of Revelation really is about, I believe. But at the time, this is blowing my mind. So I come out of that trance-like experience. I look at the scriptures. I validate and verify what I'm looking at with the scriptures. And then I go back into meditation. Now, this time I'm caught up. Now, this is <clears throat> this is going to be this, the strangest part of it. This time I'm caught up and I see Jesus. But it is not the Jesus of history. It is not the Jesus that everybody thinks that Jesus is. And the way it was explained to me in the vision, it is a group thought form, which there's a term for that called an egregore. But it is a group thought form. And then I saw this very clearly. I can't explain all of it and go into all of it, but here's what I saw. Groups of people coming together Offering energy, now a thought form is something that we create that takes on its own essence, its own life, but has to feed. And the energy it feeds off of is devotion, emotion, and thought loyalty, group consensus. So the more people it can get to worship it, the stronger it becomes. And that egregore rests as an influence over the entire group. Now, this can be good or bad because every everything will eventually develop some kind of a group thought form, the spirit of a thing. <clears throat> so we can make it work for us where we collectively create these thought forms that are beneficial. But what can happen is these thought forms can become so empowered by devotion that they demand or seek it. So when a follower, watch this, when a follower breaks with the group consensus, the people come under the influence of the egregore and they turn on the person who breaks with the group consensus believing that they're doing God's work. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the message of the cross. The message of the cross isn't ne is never <clears throat> sinners in the hands of an angry God. <clears throat> it is that the truth teller that breaks with the consensus is often rejected and the people doing the rejecting are influenced to such a degree by their own group consensus that they believe they're doing God's service, which is why Jesus was killed under the indictment of those who represented God. And the same thing happens all the time. And so I came out of that experience and I realized the divine potential is in everything. The divine potential is in everybody. 
and what we've been serving and worshiping have been the things that out of our own divine potential we have created. That we really are free people who act like slaves. That we really are princes and royalty that lives like paupers because we need something outside of us to tell us what to do. We need something outside of us to confirm to us who we are and what we are. We need something outside of us to love us because we don't love ourselves. So many people come out of codependency just to develop a codependent relationship with Jesus. I need his love. I need his intimacy. I need that. Why? Because I don't love myself. Because I'm not content within myself. Because I'm still looking outside myself. I'm looking to a tree other than myself to feed myself. Now here's, so you say, okay, well that was a subjective vision, that was, you know, okay. So this is February 13th, it's a Wednesday, and I just decide, you know what, I'm going to preach this message to the church. I'm just going to put this out and preach this to the church, the experience that I had. And I'm shaving, I'll never forget, I'm in the bathroom shaving, getting ready for the service. And my son Josiah comes in, and he has this huge, beautiful butterfly, monarch butterfly. Royalty. And he says, Dad, 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 I've got a new pet. Where did you get that butterfly? Did your mom take you to Walmart? Did you see him at Walmart? Like, like now, just so you know, y'all, <laughs> we don't have butterflies in winter in Colorado. Uh, butterfly moth season is throughout the summer, spring and summer, early fall. Definitely not in February. Never seen one in February. And uh, he says, I, I, I got it out of the tissue box. Like, you got it out of the tissue box. So literally, this monarch butterfly spontaneously regenerated in the box. I'll give you the backstory on the butterfly in a minute. So we show up at church. Josiah's all excited. He's showing everybody his butterfly. The butterfly leaves his hand, and it flies up right and purchases, perches, perches, perches. Right above on the on the ceiling, right over where our podium is. And I stand at the podium and I preach the experience that I had that I just shared with you for an hour and fifteen minutes, whatever it was. As soon as I'm done, Josiah comes back in. Butterfly didn't move that whole time. As soon as I'm done, the butterfly descends, lands on the chair, and Josiah brings it home with him. But now here's the backstory to the monarch butterfly. Sometime in about June, we think, of that year, he had collected some caterpillars. And he had stuck the caterpillars <clears throat> with some leaves inside the tissue box <laughs> and left it. It was just sitting there on the shelf in one of our rooms and left it there. And we never addressed it. I mean, you know, the tissue box just fit in with the surroundings. <laughs> it was a camouflage tissue box, whatever. but whatever, for whatever reason, we never dealt with it. So, the life of a monarch butterfly, I researched this, from egg to worm to cocoon to butterfly to dead is about three months. So, even if he had found this in June... Even if he'd have found it in August, September, October, November, we're into February. 
usually it'll spend anywhere from, I, I want to say, five to ten days in the cocoon. These worms, these caterpillars died, gang. They were dead. And on the day that I had that vision, one of those butterflies resurrects. Why? I believe with all my heart, you can take this, leave this, you can try to come up with some explanation. But I believe the transition for me was so difficult to get me to where I needed to be that I needed a sign to show me that I wasn't moving in the wrong direction. I was simply in the process of transforming from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And I believe, gang, that's where a lot of you are as well. So, all of that to say this. I'm gonna, I wasn't sure what to do with my gifts because I thought my gifts came from my doctrine, from my faith. I thought my gifts came from Jesus and Jesus just up and disappeared on me for no reason. <laughs> I thought I, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to put it. But I had to live with integrity. I had to live with intellectual integrity. I had to live with integrity from my heart. Speaking in tongues. Let me give you an example. So back to this, and this is where I'll close. So I started the, the talk by talking about how on the religious trauma page, they do you still speak in tongues and the age-old arguments started coming out. One of our problems is this. We have a very narrow lens through which to look at things especially if we're Bible-only people. Partly because we're just not ed educated in the ancient world at all. And so the argument, the intellectual argument, is that tongues is simply speaking in a foreign language uh, that you did not know. And that they needed to get the gospel out to people that spoke foreign languages at that time. And so God supernaturally empowered them to speak these foreign languages even though people in that time were far more likely to be bilingual than we are today. In fact, people in Africa oftentimes speak their native tongue. They speak the country's tongue, maybe Swahili. They'll speak English, and oftentimes they'll speak even a second language like Spanish or German or French. Uh, it's unique to the superiority of the English-speaking world that we only speak English. So ancient people oftentimes were bilingual, so whatever. But we would say <clears throat> it was just a gift, where, and we take this from Acts in the book of Pentecost, because we don't understand the ancient Greco-Roman world and that the term that's being used, glossolalia, was not invented by the church. I want you to hear me. Glossolalia, uh, I can't say it, I don't care. Speaking in tongues did not originate at Pentecost. It was not some brand new phenomenon that the Spirit poured out at Pentecost. Because there are ancient writings where speaking in an unknown tongue or speaking with the tongues of angels. To say that the Bible only teaches that speaking in tongues uh, is tied to the day of Pentecost, I don't even know what Bible you're reading. Because the rest of the times in the book of Acts that they spoke in tongues, there was nobody present to hear them speak in their language. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels... He says in 1 Corinthians 14, if a man prays in tongues, his spirit prays. 
His spirit speaketh, speaketh, howbeit no man understands what he's saying. That's why the gift of interpretation. It's like you have to rip uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and then the rest of the book of Acts out of your Bible to make that fit. So that's why I became a Pentecostal too, by the way, because I couldn't intellectually... Uh, intellectual integrity and honesty is really important to me. But glossolalia, you can Wikipedia this, was common and sought for in the Greco-Roman world, and it was a sign, watch this, it was a sign that your divinity, <coughs> that divinity <coughs> was breaking through into your humanity. That divinity was breaking through into your humanity. In shamanic cultures, the shamans will speak in tongues. Muslims, particularly those of the Sufi tradition, will speak in tongues. The, the, the oracle at Delphi, one of the signs that the divine was possessing her and making her an oracle, the high priestess there, was that she spoke in tongues. The, the priests, there's some evidence that the priests in Egypt and the high priests in Egypt spoke in tongues. So that's the context of it. It does not exclusively belong to Christianity. It does not exclusively a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is not exclusively anything to do with Jesus. So you don't have to let the church have what God gave you. So if you have experiences, to bring this home, and again, Vanessa, thank you for this, because Vanessa really helped me see this. You don't have to let what the church gave you go because you thought it was tied strictly to your Christianity and you can't do Christianity the way you used to do Christianity. In other words, maybe you're out exploring uh, things about Buddhism. Maybe you're out exploring the tarot. Maybe you're reading about the hermetic wisdom. Maybe you're, I don't know what your spiritual path is. Maybe you're just confused and you don't know what your spiritual path is supposed to be. I just want to encourage you, don't throw away what you developed through your life, the spiritual foundation that you have. And in that sense, you, you know what I'm saying? Build from there. Hold on to, realize it's the power, not the form. We clung to the form and thought the form dictated the power, but I'm telling you, the power is resident within all of creation. And so what I realized, and this is where I'm going to leave this, and maybe I'll pick this up later, but what I realized was that in the past, when there was prophetic words, it wasn't the Spirit giving it as He wills to confirm the message to win somebody to Jesus. That was the construct that I forced around the phenomena in order to operate it and make sense of it. But it was also very, very limiting because then the only time I could operate within it, it had to fit within that particular paradigm. Do you see what I'm saying? Had to fit within the church paradigm and the church meeting. Had to fit within the context of a conversation that was designed to heal someone or lead someone to Jesus or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and so what I realized was that we, there are, l listen gang, there are streams of vibrations and frequencies that we attune ourselves to. One of the reasons for speaking in tongues is to attune yourself to a divine frequency. The reason people use vibrations and chanting and, and over and over chanting or rocking like a, a, a really true meditation is going to involve posture, 
oftentimes rocking, uh, breathing, and chanting, because what you're doing is you're attuning yourself to a divine frequency. You're unlocking your own divine identity and your own divine potential and power. And when you tune to those frequencies, when you get in the flow with those frequencies, you get in the flow with those vibrations, then what happens, what we used to call the flow of the Spirit, is simply one of the many mansions. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. It's simply one of the mansions that we have attuned ourselves to that particular divine frequency. And when we attune ourselves to that particular divine frequency, then the gift that we are and the gift that we have flows through us, whether we belong to a church or don't belong to a church, whether we adhere to a doctrine or don't adhere to a doctrine, whether we're relating to the a per, a, a, a mystical figure like Jesus or like some other entity or, or whatever, or whether we are comfortable within ourselves. But as we attune to those things, we can unlock those things. You can think about it as there, there, are, there are frequencies, there are states of mind, there are uh, things inherent within your own humanity, even inherent within your own DNA, that when you get the right frequency, it's like putting a key inside of a lock and turning the lock. And when you turn the lock, it unlocks and opens up the treasure of divine power that you always were, organically always were, eternally always were, independent of your thinking, independent of asking Jesus into your heart. Actually, it's the reason that you came. So many of us have shown up uh, on, on, on earth from different mansions, if you will, from different, carrying different versions of the divine frequencies. And part of what's supposed to happen is that we are supposed to find and attune to our particular soul resonance, our particular body resonance. And when we release that resonance, then we just become part of a corporate sound that is being released throughout the earth. So that this concerto, if you will, of many sounds and many instruments can come together and blend together and then elevate and raise, really raise the, the, the consciousness of humanity. And rather than creating these egregores, it creates a, it creates a field of energy that then becomes a social complex, to use language from the law of one, that we can then tap into in order to really create a new heaven and a new earth. And that's a lot of what Revelation is about. Revelation is about the unveiling of the bride, the unveiling of the divine within you, within humanity, not just within Christians, within humanity for the purpose of creating this concerto of divine resonance, this releasing of the gifting. You have supernatural potential. You have supernatural gifting inside of you. You have the ability to be clairvoyant. You have the ability, which means to have visions or to hear from other dimensions or other realms. Uh, your divine frequency is different than mine. It's going to look different than mine. It's going to sound different than mine. And as long as we're clinging to exclusivity and superiority, we will never see the fullness of divinity revealed within humanity. And this is why deconstruction, this is why so many of us are going through what we're going through. Don't despise your past. Don't despise the fruit of your past. Don't despise the spiritual gifting of your past. Realize that it's a foundation upon which you can begin to build. And it was necessary preparation to put inside of you the things that you needed for the unfolding of your own divine revelation so that the light and the glory and the sun shine of God, of divinity, of who you are, could shine and flow through 
you. So you don't have to throw that out. You don't have to give to the church or let the church steal what God gave you. So here's the prophetic word. Here's the clarion call. And then I'm going to pray an impartation uh, over all of you to reclaim, <clears throat> to reclaim not what the devil stole. Remember that? I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the enemy's camp and I'm going to take back what the devil stole. No. I'm going to invite you to go back to your personal history. I'm going to invite you to go back to whatever was going on. Uh, I'm going to invite you to reclaim your own desires. Don't let the church steal your desires from you just because it doesn't fit the church culture. Uh, don't let it steal your passions and your hunger from you just because it doesn't fit with what, with somebody, you know, preaching at you or to you how you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to believe. For some of you, you need to reclaim your sexuality because perhaps your, uh, your orientation or your whatever ideas about that or desires you've been fighting that and and wrestling with that and trying to suppress that because it doesn't fit with the culture around you um you can reclaim that uh all of it's divine um all of it's divine it doesn't need to be redeemed so what i'm going to do is invite you to go within yourself and release what church has has made you think you can't have made you think you couldn't do so that you can reclaim your identity and your authenticity and be set free into your own divine frequency. So I want you to, if you're able to, if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, Jeremy, <laughs> then don't, uh, don't close your eyes. But if you're, if you're at a place right now, if you're at a place right now where you can just relax, I want you to relax for just a minute. I want you to take a very deep breath. Let's just together, come on, just take in a very deep breath. And as you exhale, just release and let go. And just relax. Just relax into yourself. Just relax into yourself. You can close your eyes. You can leave your eyes open however you want to do it. But right now, I just speak a release of the divine within you, of divine energy inside you and divine ability and divine insight and divine power that you would find your own frequency. That what we used to call in the church an open heaven where you could experience the divine, you could experience the sublime, you could experience the ineffable, you could experience that which came from another dimension. Right now I open up and release over you that which comes from another dimension. Right now I open up and release and unlock inside of you the next level of your divine destiny and the revelation of your own soul code. And right now I release you from traditions. I, I speak a word of power. I speak a word of authority right now to release you from traditions, to release you from guilt, to release you from shame, to release you from obligation, to release you from your loyalty contracts that have kept you tied to systems and to egregores that you have outgrown. And I say you don't have to feel guilty. I say you don't have to feel ashamed. I command the confusion to lift off of your mind. I command the confusion to lift off of your life right now. I command those things that are binding your soul, whether it be to an institution, whether it be to a person, Person, whether it be to an idea, I just speak a release of those things right now and an awakening, an awakening of the divine frequency, an awakening of the divine impulse and an awakening of the divine movement inside of you. And I declare a moving of the spirit, a moving of the spirit of God rising up inside of you, bringing revelation to you and imparting to you. And right now I say, children of God, reclaim your gifts. If you moved in healing, reclaim 
reclaim the gift of healing. If you moved in prophecy, reclaim the gift of prophecy. Just say it out loud right now. I, I claim that gift of healing. I claim that gift of prophecy. Maybe you were deprived of supernatural experiences. I break your loyalty contract, if you're willing, and not, not overriding your will, but I'm just, I'm, I'm sharing my energy with you. If you are willing to break your contract with American and Western Enlightenment skepticism, and scientific skepticism, and you want to open up right now that 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 thing, if you release it and you're willing and you're ready, the power of that thing is being lifted off of you right now and you are being set free into a level of divine communication and intuition and clairvoyance and clairaudience and true desire and true authentic living and beyond all right now, my wish for you, my intention for you and the energy that I'm pushing into this broadcast right now is that those things that are preventing you from living your authenticity and your divine humanity, if you are willing and set your intention with me right now, those things are losing their grip over you and you are being set free right now. You are being released right now into another level, into another level of divinity and humanity and desire and ecstasy, and bliss, and I say, may everything that you came here to do may be accomplished. May you discover your identity organically as divine humanity rather than in a concept. I hope this was a blessing to you. I hope you'll give me some feedback about this, please. Um, I love all of you. I bless all of you. Uh, again, I'm just, I, I have to give a shout out to Vanessa again because, Vanessa, you helped me. Um, Thank you so much for that, my friend. And I hope uh, that through that, uh, that there is fruit and blessing uh, for everyone that's able to hear this. May your life be fruitful. May your humanity be fruitful. May it be blessed. May you be uh, able to experience and reclaim for yourself everything that God has for you. Let there be a new activation of... <clears throat> The prophetic, let there be a new activation of healing. Let there be a new activation of miracles. Let there be a new activation of words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Let there be activations of things that have been forbidden to us. Um, but may it be free from the limitations of the religious dogmas through which you experienced it in your past. Amen. Love you. Namaste.